All right, everyone, if you want to come back, grab a seat. We're going to get started. Uh, one, one last announcement I forgot to mention. We are also doing, with this Go Love series, uh, a water bottle drive for the Phoenix Rescue Mission. So um, every week we'll just stack them over here. Uh, we also have a heat relief pack. Uh, you can find information in your worship <laughs> folder that uh, we're going to be sending down to the Phoenix Rescue Mission. Um, as we know, it's getting hot already. Um, and uh, we just want to be able to be a blessing to those uh, who can't get relief from the heat this summer. So Marcy is up here joining me today. And uh, yes, here is why. Yeah. It's Mother's Day, and uh, I am not a mom, uh, but I am married to a very good mom. And, uh, and as we are going through this series called Go Love, we wanted to talk about the topic of sacrificial love. And uh, to me, that, the relationship between a mother and her children is probably the, the best example that we have of, of, a, of a loving, sacrificial love, agape-type love relationship. Uh, the way that a, a mom is uh, loving her child, patient with her child, um, present in the child's life, never giving up on the child is such a beautiful example, I think, of even what God's love uh, looks like, how he loves us in this agape, unconditional, sacrificial way. And so I wanted Marcy to come up, and as I was kind of planning this message, uh, doing kind of the, the research I do as a, as a pastor to put together a message, I, I came across this story, and it takes place in 1987, um, and it's, it's about a, a, an airplane crash. It was Northwest Airlines Flight 225, um, and then on August 16th, 1987, this flight was leaving Detroit and flying to Phoenix, of all places. Um, this flight had 166 people on it, and it crashed, and 165 people uh, passed away instantly. Um, when the paramedics arrive at the scene, um, they were kind of looking around, um, trying to figure out you know, what happened, if there was anyone alive. It was a, a terrible scene to come across. Uh, there was a fireman who uh, ended up uh, hearing a whimpering, and he, and he went and started kind of digging through the, the rubble of the crash and found a, a four-year-old girl that was still alive, this girl that survived uh, the plane crash. Her name is uh, Cecilia, and she's still alive today. Um, you can actually like, Google it and kind of hear her story. Um, she's the only one that survived this crash, and they're trying to figure out how in the world did she survive. Um, and what, uh, what kind of the, the first responders were saying is that her mom must have uh, unbuckled when, once she saw the plane was going down and it was going to crash. In the last moments of life, the last desperate moments, um, she must have unbuckled and just covered up her child um, like a human airbag, kind of, and, and held on to her and, and protected her as it crashed. Um, and so, like, the, this baby survived when everyone else, or this little child survived. Um, and I, I was reading that thinking, like, this is such a, an, first of all, an amazing story. Um, an amazing story of someone who survived. Uh, but what a, an unbelievable pi picture of a mom who uh, sacrificially gives up even her life and her own protection in that last moment to protect her child. So I'm, I'm like reading this to Marcy and I'm telling it to her and she goes, flight, uh, Northwest Airlines flight 225. Oh yeah, I was supposed to be on that flight. And I was like, wait, wait, what? Like, I, what are you talking about? Like, I've been married to you for 14 years and I've never heard that before. What in the world is going on? And she said, yeah, that was the actual flight that I was supposed to be on, so. Yeah, so the story <laughs> is, um, my parents divorced when I was very young. Um, they were both remarried by the time I was four years old. 
Um, so I grew up with four awesome, loving parents. Um, didn't know anything different. Sorry, I just caught my mom's eye contact. I shouldn't have done that. Why don't you stand? No, just kidding. <laughs> Um, every summer, Gail, my mom, and Kevin would put us on, my sister Carrie, who many of you know, and my brother Todd would put us on a plane, and we'd go back to Michigan uh, for the summer. Um, I had thought about this before, but now as a mom to four children, I, I can't, I was talking to Jared about this yesterday, I, I can't um, imagine and I appreciate so much the sacrifice um, of all of my parents. Um, Co-parenting across um, a country is no easy feat. Um, and I think that I'm not naive in knowing that divorce is messy, but um, my parents all did such an amazing job of keeping us kids out of the middle of it. And I knew nothing different than just four loving parents on one side of the country and on the other side of the country. And I got to go on airplanes. And um, so that story is that we were, um, what's this? Sorry. It's probably me. It's usually me. <laughs> I won't touch it. Um, so we would, every summer, we would leave the first week of June. Um, and you usually return the second week of August. And my dad always, he can still tell you, I talked to him yesterday and he can tell you the flight numbers because he was very methodical and he knew exactly which flight we went out on every year and which flight we came back on. Um, and we were always supposed to come back on that Sunday night flight, which happened to be on August 16th this year. Um, we happened to be involved in uh, the Can-Am games. I ran track in Canada, got third place in long jump. Thank you. I think there were three of us, so. That was exciting. Um, <laughs> That's another thing I didn't know. <laughs> Full of surprise. So um, you know anyways, something. the closing ceremonies were that Sunday. And my dad knew that he couldn't get us all back from the closing ceremonies to Detroit onto the flight back. So he ended up making our plane for Monday morning instead. Um, so my parents didn't know anything about it. This is kind of before all the technology, obviously. And so no nobody even knew about the crash until the next morning when... Um, I think everybody's phones were, how are you? What's going on over there? Is everybody good at your house? Because I think everybody knew that this is when Todd and Carrie and Marcy come back, and this is when Todd and Carrie and Marcy leave. So um, obviously we were very thankful for the kind of change up in our um, usual flight that time. So. Yeah, I mean, if you were on that flight, then I, I wouldn't be here today. Or I would be here. But I mean, a lot would be. Yes, yeah, it would be different. It would be really different. So, <laughs> uh, but I like as we were talking, like this kind of brought up kind of all these you know memories of of your childhood and uh, the way that both of them uh, would would uh, like you said not not put you guys in the middle of it, but would sacrificially um, even you know let. I, I think there was a lot of sacrifices that took place. Um, and I can't imagine the next day after that flight crash, um, you know, your, your stepmom putting on that flight, your mom here knowing that you're getting on the flight, what that would have been like um, at, at the time. Um, and uh, as we talk about this idea of sacrificial uh, love, uh, it's this reminder like life is it's challenging, it's messy, and, um, and at the same time there's this role of, of the mom uh, in, in her kid's life to, to love in a way that's sacrificial. Um, and we, I, I was thinking there's a lot of things that you do for our children that's like very sacrificial. And, and it's not so much like there's these extremes, like you know, covering up your child on the, in a plane crash, but then there's also these everyday, like routine, mundane things that you do that are sacrificial. So I thought you could talk a little bit about some of the, the, sac the daily sacrifices you make as a mom. Yeah, so um, the first thing I, I 
thought about probably just because it had just happened was as a mom, you kind of sacrifice your privacy. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, it starts at your first prenatal appointment and it doesn't stop <laughs> even up until yeah. I've got a 10 year old. I remember that appointment because I was there and it was really awkward for me. <laughs> It was really awkward yeah. for you, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was just wanted to get out of there. <laughs> he has a heart. So um, like to this day, my kids, I'll be in the shower, and they'll walk in with a yogurt or, or an orange. Can you peel this? I'm like, yeah. your dad is standing in the kitchen. You just walked right past him. He is capable. Although I do secretly love that they need me first, but I'm like, there are times and places. So... Um, <laughs> Um, it kind of leads to quiet and alone time. That's not really something I think maybe as kids get older, like I'm looking at Toby and thinking, you probably have quiet time now. Yes, I Your know. kids are a little bit older. <laughs> right now, I, I don't. It comes. And I, right now, I don't have that. That's not something we were talking in Bible study a few weeks ago about our hobbies. And we all kind of looked at each other and smiled. Like, what's a hobby? I don't. <laughs> having a hobby actually sounds really exhausting right now. And I have to find childcare. And then I just, that doesn't sound fun at all. I don't want a hobby right now. Your hobby is the children. Yeah. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> I'm sure okay. someday I will have a hobby again, but that's another one of those things. That's just kind of a daily, that's just what we do as moms. Um, another thing that you learn about right away is sleep. You don't sleep anymore. I had a mom, I remember walking into church with Sophia. She was probably like three months old. So we were not quite in that newborn stage, but she's still eating every three hours in the night. And one of them, I said, I'm just so tired. I just want to sleep again. She's like, you're never sleeping again. Yes. That is a really mean thing to say. Don't ever say that to a brand new mom. You will sleep again. Maybe not the same, but you will get consecutive sleep again. And this is where I think us as men do have understand that. Like, because there's times where I don't sleep. And especially like early on with the baby and like the dads out there that have new babies, it's like, you know, like you get up in the middle of the night and we're we look like we're asleep, but like we're losing sleep. Like we're it's hard. We're not awake, but <laughs> it's not like we're not not awake. So it's the sleep thing I get. It's the same, I, right? <laughs> it's the same. Yeah. It's and I remember talking to my dad about that one time, and he's I was like, when do you sleep again? He's like, you don't, because it's by the time that the kids get out of the house, then your bladder goes, and you have to get up like three times a day. <laughs> so like you'll never sleep again. So. Uh, but I remember specifically, like, our, our children, it's like the Gaffigan skit where he talks about, you know, he's got, like, five kids, and he's, like, I'm pretty sure they plot out, like, when to, like, they take shifts of when to come and wake us up, like, in the middle of the night. And, you know, I got, like, Tuesday night from, you know, 2 to 4 a.m., and you take, you know, Wednesday. And we see that, too. And I remember, like, one of my favorite stories, it's one of those things that, like, it drove me nuts at the time, but Ezra would come in to our house, or to our house, yeah. <laughs> He's, he's number three, so we keep him outside. Uh, but he comes into our room and, and then decides that he, like, he'll come in and we're like, Ezra, go to bed. And he'll be like, but I have a question. And we'll be like, no, you don't. And he's like, I do. I really need to ask you a question. We're like, well, what is it? And he'll look around the room and he's like, why do you have a door in your room? We're like, that's not a question. You just made that up. And, like the interruptions just never stop. There's this, yes, the, we, we all sacrifice sleep and moms do too. Yeah. I guess moms do too, <laughs> a little bit. 
Uh, another one would be sanity, especially, I think, in this day and age of being a mother. It's a little different, I think, now than it was in the past. So I'm going to read you guys this. If you guys follow or have heard of The Honest Toddler on Twitter, it's a fabulous follow. Uh, really funny. But the mom wrote this. How to be a mom in 2017. Make sure your children's academic, emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical, nutritional, and social needs are met while being careful not to overstimulate, understimulate, improperly medicate, helicopter, or neglect them in a screen-free, processed, foods-free, GMO-free, negative energy, plastic-free, body-positive, socially conscious, egalitarian but also authoritative, nurturing but fostering of independence, gentle, not overly permissive, pesticide-free, two-story, multilingual home, Preferably in a cul-de-sac with a backyard and one and a half siblings spaced at least two years apart for proper development and also don't forget the coconut oil. <laughs> How to be a mom in literally every generation before, just feed them sometimes. <laughs> this is why you're crazy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Acceptable. And for us dads, we're, we're kind of like, you know, we just take them to Chick-fil-A sometimes and we're good. <laughs> So yeah, sacrificing uh, just sanity, um, and, and I, I think you know we we uh, have been married for almost 14 years. We have four kids. Um, we've we've miscarried three times, and uh, so that means like in those the 14 years of our marriage, you've been pregnant for like 20 of them, and um, and and so even just dealing with uh, everything that comes with um, the pregnancies and the ups and downs, the highs and lows of that. Um, that, that mothers sacrifice so much. And it's one of those things, too, now that I'm older, I can look back, uh, like, at my mom and see. Like, I had no idea that she did all of this for me. Um, there's so much that she had done for me uh, that I'm not going to look over there either. That allow, allows me to, um, to, to flourish as much as I can and, and to have a chance uh, at just a, a wonderful life. And we're so grateful for that. Um, I wanted to look today um, just at a passage in Scripture about two moms. And it's, it's probably not the kind of passage that you would think is a Mother's Day message. Um, it, it's kind of, a, in, in ways, it's kind of a morbid passage. Um, and I never read it kind of from the perspective of the moms. And, uh, and as I was kind of thinking of sacrificial love, like this came up. And the passage is in uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, verses 16 through 28. And as we, as we read this, we're reminded that this takes place Maybe 1,200 years before the time of Christ, it's a very different culture. It's a very violent world. Um, it's, a, it's a very kind of archaic uh, story. And I'll unpack it a little bit. So Marcy's going to read it. Happy Mother's Day before I read this. Sorry. <laughs> a wise ruling. Now two harlots came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During this night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. She got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, sleep. She put him by her breast and I had her dead son put by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. The first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. Well, that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. The other one said, neither I 
nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. So this might be a story that's familiar to some of you, and for others it, it may be a story that you're just hearing. Uh, so there's two moms. They both have a child at the same time. One of them, in the middle of the night, the child passes away. And uh, she wakes up the next morning and ends up switching the babies. And they're brought before the king, and it's King Solomon. We know that Solomon's one of the wisest kings. And uh, the, his kind of solution sounds a little bit wild, like he's going to have the baby cut down the, the middle. And like we, we read that from our, you know, our, our modern culture's eyes, like there's, there's so much more going on here with his solution, like there's burial rights, there's all sorts of different things that are going on here. But Solomon, I think, also anticipates like what the answer is going to be. But like when I would read this story, it, it's always, we're, we're kind of focusing on Solomon's wisdom, like he solves this problem. And I'd always kind of like read that from like Solomon's eyes. Um, and, uh, but, but to think of it like there's two, this is a story about two women, about two, two moms. And, and we know like this story starts off by saying they're harlots, so they're, they're, they're prostitutes. And um, so they're already, as the story starts, you have these two women who are victims. And like when we think about who they are, what their, what their character is, um, this isn't like Julia Roberts and like Pretty Woman. Like, like especially at this time period in this part of the world, um, these are like the least of these. They're, they're, they're probably like, super oppressed, they're, they're desperate. Uh, they're poverty-stricken. You don't just decide that you want to do this kind, be this kind of person, this kind of lifestyle. So even like as the story starts, like there's this, uh, oh my goodness, these two women are, are in these terrible circumstances. And then the fact that Solomon would hear them out, I think, speaks to a little bit to like how approachable this this king is with a story that he would let them come and he would judge between them. Um, but then as I would read this story too, I always thought it was a story about like a good mom and a bad mom. And like one of them had like this bad heart, right? And like she was evil and, and selfish and the other one had this great heart. Um, but I had never considered like, you know, if this, you know, what her circumstances are that have led her to this life. And, and now she, like we, we forget, like there's a story like she loses her baby in the middle of the night. Like the, the shock that comes from that, like the, the pain the agony, like uh, the, the grief, the suddenness of it. Um, I can't imagine what she was going through. I wonder like what modern psychologists would kind of diagnose this behavior because she creates this narrative in her head and, and she wants life. She desires life so much that she steals like her roommate's like, baby. Like this is, a, this is a story of a woman uh, who has just gone through probably one of the worst things that you can experience. Like she's absolutely devastated. And I, I never kind of think of like what she's gone through, like with the grief of this story, um, what she's feeling. And uh, even to the point that when she kind of gets to the end of the story, she just doesn't want to be alone in her grief. Like she would rather, like if she's miserable, like drag this roommate into it because there's a loneliness that happens. And it, it's this reminder of uh, the, the, the grief uh, to me of, of how that, that changes behavior, like going through something. And the other thing is like, Solomon does a good job here judging wisely in this situation. But there's this kind of haunting reminder, even as we are throughout the Old Testament, that we're in, we're in need of someone uh, that can, can, can come and put things back together to bring healing and restoration. And, and Solomon, in all of his wisdom, uh, he can't heal this woman's broken heart. 
There's this like unsettled, unresolved, like what happens to her when she goes home? And uh, and Solomon and all of his his splendor and power can't raise the baby from the dead. That's only something that Jesus can do. And, uh, and, and there's this longing for that. And we see this in these stories in the Old Testament, this longing for not just someone that can judge fairly, but like bring about restoration and healing of the brokenness in this world. And uh, so I just think about this, this woman and her, her, like we just see her as like being maybe selfish. And then we start to realize like she's gone through something that's absolutely devastating. And there's this reminder of this need for this perfect king that we can stand before and not only kind of judge like our circumstances that we've gone through, but then bring about the healing and the restoration and redemption. Um, and, and I'd never kind of thought of it in that way. And on this Mother's Day, it's like, I want to give her like the benefit of the doubt uh, in this story. And then uh, the other woman is like the one that we uh, were, were, we admire, and rightfully so. Like it talks about, like she looks at the situation, starts to figure out what's going on, probably feels completely uh, betrayed by her roommate. And it says um, that she has compassion. Out of her compassion, she decides to make this decision where she says, I would rather have this baby live even if I have to give up control of it. And so there's this, I'm putting the baby's life in front of even my own like desire to, to raise it. There's, uh, I think you were telling me about, what does the other translation say? Yeah, I love the translation um, I was reading, and it said that the mother was deeply moved out of love for her child. And I feel like sometimes I can look at my kids, and, and I, I think some of you moms probably know what I'm talking about, when they, you look at them, and like your heart's just going to burst. Like, I can't believe that like, you have entrusted me with them and that they're mine. Like, you just get just the love that you have for these children. Um, we're just kind of entering this world right now of relinquishing control. We have a preteen. And we've, we've gone through the, the infant, keep them alive, the toddler, you know, teach them right and wrong. And now it's like this whole world of independence and this independence with technology. Like this is a whole new world for a lot of people, but especially for us just right now. Um, and we want so badly to protect her and to keep her safe. Um, I know so many of you have gone through this before of us, and, and we'll probably call you if you'll allow us. <laughs> uh, we have like a 10-year-old, 16-year-old, so we're trying to like, <laughs> she's growing up so quick. But we also know that we can't necessarily give her, be there all the time, and give her what's the absolute best for her. Mm -hmm. so, um, and I think there's this reminder for us, too, like, like the, the first mom, um, you know, Solomon can't heal her, only Jesus can do that. And, in the midst of us trying to raise our children the best way that we can, we're reminded that this is only something that, that God can do, that Christ can do. And so that we, we know, like, as we uh, uh, turn our children over to God and say, um, you know, we, we've dedicated them to you. We want to raise them to know you, to God's love and, and understanding because we're so, I think, insufficient as, as parents. But um, there's this attempt to say, like, we want what's best for you and uh, to put you put you forward, out of the, the, the fullness of our hearts, the love for you. We want what is best for you in this world. Yeah. Um, so uh, Andy Stanley has this quote I'm going to read to you guys. The most significant visions are not cast by great orators from a stage. They are cast at the bedsides of our children. The greatest vision casting opportunities happen between the hours of 7.30 and 9.30 p.m., Monday through Sunday. In these closing hours of the day, we have a unique opportunity to plant the seeds of what could be and what should be. 
Take every opportunity you get. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Um, it sounds so sweet, but then you say the bed t- word bedtime to a mom. Mm-hmm. Bedtime, it's, it's a lot when you have little people. Um, but it was such a good reminder for me. Um, just like those are the times we're at our lowest energy of the day and they're at their highest demand where they're, they're ready um, to hear from you and to tell you about their day or to, to unwind. And, um, but it was just such a good reminder for me that even like at my lowest and at my weakest that he is, he is stronger. So um, just, yeah, leaning on him through that um, and maybe taking advantage of those, those hours that are stressful and hard, but really entering into them. So. Yeah, there's a great purpose uh, as, uh, as we raise children. Um, and, and moms have probably more influence than anyone on their children. And so uh, stories of, of love and then purpose of, of who you're raising and the way that you're raising them in a way that is self-sacrificing, I think is what, what changes the world. Um, so we're going to close today uh, with prayer and in uh, communion. Um, Tim's going to come back up. And just want to spend some time reflecting on a couple things. One... Uh, uh, for those of you, uh, for, for today, um, today might be a challenging day, as it's Mother's Day. Um, there's those of you who may have uh, lost a mom this year. There's uh, some of you who've gone through the loss of a child. Um, there's, there's grief that can come on this day. And I want to just take some time to just say, Lord, we, we want to stand before you and, and invite you to come and just bring about healing and, and restoration. Um, want to be thankful today. Take some time to be grateful for uh, our moms grateful for our children, um, reminded of uh, just this great responsibility that comes with this, this role of, of motherhood. Um, and then also uh, just a, a prayer to say, Lord, um, give me the eyes uh, to see others as you see them. Um, give, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, um, give me the heart to love sacrificially as you have loved me um, and in the way that I can love of children. Men in this room, uh, the best way that you can support uh, the, the women in your life that are mothers um, just invite God today to reveal uh, things that, that need to be revealed so that you can be more supportive uh, as men. And uh, let's close with a time of, uh, of communion. For us, communion is a representation of the ultimate act of sacrificial love, uh, where, where uh, we take uh, a piece of bread and a, and a cup of juice, and they're elements, uh, but they're symbolic of something sacred. They're symbolic of the body of Christ being bro- broken open on, on the cross, and uh, this is the, that, that perfect king that we stand before that not only judges perfectly, but, but brings about resurrection and restoration. And uh, we take a cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was poured out on the cross. And this blood uh, that was shed uh, cleanses us um, of our brokenness, um, makes us clean again. And uh, we give thanks because this was the ultimate sacrificial act of love. Um, and then we in turn proclaim it as his people, that we are a people who sacrificially love starting with our children, starting with our family, and then we love others. Uh, So let's pray, and then Tim's going to come back up and uh, close us. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you for your love for us, a love that is unconditional and perfect. Lord, we thank you for our mothers, the great sacrifices they make in the day-to-day, the different ways that they give up their own time, their own freedoms, their own social lives, um, different ways that they uh, will suffer, different ways they experience pain. But it comes from this place of great love. 
We're grateful for that. Lord, I just pray for, uh, to you, for you to just move among us today. That we would experience your goodness. That we would be reminded of the many blessings that we have. The things that we take for granted day after day. And Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts this morning. That we would put others first. That we would love sacrificially as you have loved us. That we wouldn't take relationships for granted, Lord. That we'd set aside differences. We'd set aside our agendas. We'd have understandings of, uh, of others, how different experiences have shaped uh, them. Lord, we pray for your peace that passes understanding today. We pray for the fruit of your spirit in our lives. Lord, we're grateful for your love for us. We're grateful for our mothers. We ask your blessing on us today. In your sons, let me pray. Amen.